Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Have you been on a diet to lose weight for basically your whole life? Do you have diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and have problems with taking so many medications? A lot of times, doctors, myself included, say that weight loss can help treat a lot of different conditions and maybe even help you to get off of your medicine, but what if you've tried and just can't get rid of the extra pounds? Well, bariatric surgery has become more mainstream in the medical world and in some studies has been found to be almost like a, quote, cure for certain metabolic conditions like blood pressure, sugars, and more. But does it work long term? Are there side effects? Is it really an easier way to lose weight? Well, we've got some answers. We have Dr. Mark Grief along with Christy Kalaipio from Polymomy Medical Center's Bariatric Program, and they're here to demystify the pros and cons of stomach surgery. First in medical news, this Saturday, Hawaii Pacific Health is hosting a free community event, Cancer Care, Current Issues, and Personalizing Medicine in This Day and Age. We've got one of the program co-chairs, Dr. Ian Okazaki, on the line, ready to tell us more. Dr. Okazaki, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you. Now, this is an exciting event. Uh, Hawaii Pacific Health puts on several free community events each year, and this one is the first one for 2014. It's about cancer. What sorts of things might people be able to learn if they attend the event? Well, we do this annually for cancer because uh, cancer is a oncology or cancer care is a fast-moving field. And this year we have um, quite an exciting panel of speakers. Um, James Kokuda is uh, also a co-chair, and he's a chief of staff and a surgical oncologist, meaning a cancer surgeon at Polymome Medical Center, along with uh, Amen Abdul Ghani. He's also a, he's a, th- a chest surgeon or a thoracic surgeon. And, um, you know, thoracic surgeons take care of uh, things like lung cancer and esophagus cancer. And another, uh, we have a visiting um, speaker, David Bird. He's from the University of Washington School of Medicine in Seattle, and he is also a surgical oncologist or a cancer surgeon, and he has a vast experience in all different types of cancer, uh, including colon and uh, melanoma and other types of cancer. Michael Carney is a GYN oncologist, meaning a uh, cancer surgeon who takes care of the uh, female body parts, the uterus and ovaries and fallopian tubes, and he um, is uh, staff at, on, on staff at the University of Hawaii Me- uh, School of Medicine and also works at the Kapiolani Medical Center for Women and Children. And finally, we have Amy Corliss. She, uh, Dr. Corliss uh, does palliative care and hospital medicine at uh, Wilcox Hospital. All these speakers will be um, you know, discussing with us the, all the advances that have happened in colon cancer, in lung cancer, and um, ovarian and uh, uterine or endometrial cancer. And we'll also be focusing on how individual cancers are, are treated um, specific to each patient. Um, it's, there's not a cookie-cutter, one-size-fits-all, but depending on the type of cancer and, and sometimes nowadays the, how the, the genes or the molecular behavior of the cancer is will determine you know what type of therapy there is so it's quite an exciting time always has been it's been quite an exciting time in oncology because of the number of developments and we like to keep um, the public abreast of some of these uh, latest developments 
Well, and it certainly sounds like an event that anybody who's either had these cancers or who have loved ones who have had cancer or who are worried about what are the latest in the screening guidelines for things like lung cancer, pretty much anybody could learn a lot of great information that they can use to hopefully stay healthy throughout this conference. That's true. So we have um, screening tools for colon cancer and lung cancer nowadays, and as well as breast cancer and cervical cancer. And these, uh, it's an evolving field. For example, in lung cancer, there are um, studies that have done that have uh, nationwide studies that have uh, looked at a fa- thousands of people who are at high risk for lung cancer, and it turns out that a low dose CT scan, meaning a minimal amount of radiation uh, exposure with for a CT scan gives us a better look at the lungs and, and detects, you know, more lung cancers at an earlier stage when they can be treated and cured. And that's that's quite an advance compared to what we had been doing, which is um, either a chest X-ray or sometimes nothing at all. Well, and certainly in the last four or five years, we've seen some of the results of these studies, the changes in the screening guidelines. And, you know, it certainly sounds like even if colon or lung or ovarian or endometrial cancer is not something that runs in your family, any sort of treatment, the personalized aspect of how to treat your particular situation with cancer different than what maybe your cousin or your neighbor had really gets into the the details about how your cancer is behaving. And it, it's taking, like you said, the approach from following a, a program or a pathway to making it much more personalized. That's correct. It's, every single cancer is going to be treated in a unique way depending on you know how how the, the the where the cancer is coming from and how it's behaving, and as we go on with uh, research advancements, we are able to find you know new therapies that are going to attack a certain gene that gets turned on you know as a uh, as a result of cancer formation. So these things are you know they're we're making steady progress. We have a long way to go, but I think uh, keeping everyone up-to-date with some of the latest developments is, is, is always a good thing because the more education we have out there, the better it is for, um, you know, caring for loved ones who have cancer as well as, as well as treating the cancer itself. All right. Well, if anybody out there is interested, lots of information here about lots to learn that's going to be this Saturday, January 18th, 8.30 to noon at the Alamoana Hotel at the Hibiscus Ballroom, or it will be video conferenced at Polymomy Medical Center, also at Wilcox Memorial. If you have more questions and you want to know, you can go online at www.hawaiipacifichealth.org slash cancer care, or you can also give them a phone call at 522 522- Three four six nine. Now, there's another event. If you are a physician, they're looking at an event on Thursday, this coming Thursday, the 16th, Personalized Medicine in General Oncology. This is a continuing medical education or CME activity, and you can also call the same number, 522 522- Three four six nine. if you want to attend that event as well. Dr. Okazaki, this is more about the personalized aspect of medicine and oncology, maybe a bit scientific, meant for the people who are in the field. Is that right? That's correct. All right, so two great opportunities. You can go ahead and take a look at the website, again, hawaiipacifichealth.org, or you can also give them a call, 522-3469. Dr. Okazaki, you're one of the hardworking co-chairs of Cancer Care Current Issues. We'll see you there this Saturday. Thank you. Thanks a lot for calling in.
I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio. You're listening to The Body Show. We have got an exciting discussion today. We're going to talk about something that a lot of people have heard about. More and more we're hearing about folks who have done it. We're talking about bariatric surgery, gastric bypass surgery, gastric sleeve surgery, gastric banding. We have Dr. Mark Grief, who performs these procedures, and Christy Kelaipio, both from Polymomy Medical Center. And we're going to talk some more about what does this surgery really do and who's a candidate. We'll be taking your calls anytime at 941-3689 on Oahu, toll-free from our our neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Dr. Mark, Christy, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. Now, I'm curious, when we hear about bariatric surgery, we're talking about stomach surgery, there's different types of procedures, and I sort of want to start off by, by mentioning a little bit about the differences. You know, the surgery that people might have had 20 years ago would be totally different than what we're doing now. Uh, Dr. Grief, what are these different procedures, and, and how does it really different based on the person? I mean, is some people better for one versus another? Well, the procedures have evolved over, over time, and when I was a resident, what we did then and the procedures that we're doing now are totally different. Um, the three that I would go over with, and I would say, if nothing else, the insurance will pay for those three, and, and everything else is sort of questionable. Uh, but would, one would be the lap band. Now, there is the realized band, so we're going with trade names, lap band and realized band, uh, are basically minimally invasive. Uh, they're the least risk uh, that you would undergo. But in my opinion, also the least results that you would probably obtain of the three. Um, some people will choose it because they don't want something aggressive. Uh, they, they've heard bad things about the other procedures. Um, others will say that they want it removed after they've lost the weight, which I can tell you they will gain the weight back if they have that in their mind. So not very effective if your thought is, I want to put it in, then take it out. You could potentially negate all of the effects. Kind of like people who, you know, if they suddenly go on a liquid diet, as soon as they eat solid foods again, they wind up having the problem gaining the weight back. Kind of a similar thing with, potentially, with your lap band. Right. Okay. So it's uh, one of the, quote, benefits is that is removable or reversible, but then you would reverse all the benefits that if you took it out. So the other two, so there's lap band, and there's two other types of, when we talk bariatric surgery, two other types of procedures. What are those? Yeah, all three are done laparoscopically with small incisions. Uh, the second one uh, I'll go over has been sort of the mainstay, which is the Roux-en-Y, or bypass, or basically would refer to as the bypass surgery. Um, that one is making a small pouch uh, where you have uh, maybe a normal... 300, 400 cc stomach down to a 30 cc is about the size of an egg is what we would make the stomach size. Uh, The bypass means we would actually be bringing up a loop of small intestine, hooking that into the new stomach. That distance is about 100 to 150 centimeters, and that would actually, for my patients, depend on their BMI. So in that particular situation, you would, what they refer to as the bypass is you are eliminating a significant portion of the stomach, creating a smaller pouch, and then connecting the intestines back up to the smaller pouch. Correct. So the rest of the stomach is not involved in digestive efforts. 
correct. And a lot of people want to know what happens to the stomach. Yeah, mm-hmm. what happens to the stomach? I'm one of those people. Where does it go? What does it do? It stays right there. It's basically uh, just disconnecting the circuit. So a stomach does not fall down into the lower stomach. It stays right where it is. Uh, and it could be reversed later, but it is actually a big operation to reverse the, the gastric bypass. And so that would be what people refer to as the bypass. And you are doing that laparoscopically, you mentioned. Correct. And gastric sleeve, is that the other procedure? That's the the latest that's been approved locally. They have been doing uh, the sleeve for quite some time on the mainland. But about two years ago, uh, HMSA, the main carrier, uh, did allow that as one of the options in treating uh, obesity. That is actually removing about 80% of the stomach, leaving uh, a stomach that looks almost like your uh, esophagus or food pipe or the same diameter as your small intestine. So how is that different than the bypass? It's, uh, the bypass is actually a part restrictive, meaning it limits how much can go through, plus a uh, malabsorption. Although that, that loop of intestine we bring up, the food doesn't really get absorbed quite like it normally would because it doesn't break down well until it mixes with the enzymes from the pancreas downstream. So you may um, food may pass through you undigested, but also you can have vitamins that may not be taken up. So it, it does have a problem with malabsorption of your vitamins as well as the food. And the sleeve is different because? There is no malabsorption. It's a totally what they call a restrictive device. It basically limits how fast food can travel through that small tube, which isn't nearly as fast as it used to be in the stomach. And so because it's going through slower, how is that causing weight loss? Okay. So restrictive is, means that it passes like an hourglass. And so if you have sand going through a tiny hole, it takes a long time for that to go through. And if you narrow that down, then basically it takes quite some time for the food to work its way. So instead of eating all your food in 10 minutes, it will take you 30 minutes uh, to eat a much smaller portion. So like the hourglass, you wouldn't keep packing extra sand in that hourglass. You kind of have to let it go through on its own. So you would feel fuller longer. You wouldn't have necessarily the sensation of hunger. And you couldn't physically eat as much in a shorter span of time, so it would result in weight loss. Correct. There are some what we call ghrelin, which is a, a hormone. I call it ringing the dinner bell. It can produce sort of hunger pains. That hormone is reduced almost zero after the sleeve gastrectomy. Most studies have shown that with the band, that hormone actually increases. So in certain, mostly the bypass and the sleeve patients do have a definitely decreased appetite, decreased hunger. The The band, that hunger is still there, but you can only eat at a, at a much slower rate depending on the diameter of that balloon that they put around. So with all three of these procedures, essentially the idea is restrict the size of the stomach, restrict in some cases how fast things go through, and in some cases how fast they get absorbed. But you're really talking about not having as much physical stomach to take in all the food that people may be eating, and that decrease in intake contributes to their weight loss. Correct. But there's a window you mentioned earlier. It's not like you're going to lose weight for the next 30 years. You've got a time limit. And that may be something that some that sometimes people don't understand is, you know, you do this surgery and and you've got a certain amount of time. What, what's that about? It's more with uh, experience, meaning uh, 
it wasn't always planned that way, but uh, with the band, most studies show that after two years, you stop losing weight. Uh, with the gastric bypass, it's more of 18 months, and actually the first six months, you're going to lose 80% of that total amount of weight that you're going to lose. So one of the first things I tell patients, one, this doesn't last forever. You don't go down to, although some patients potentially could get to a very low weight, uh, we have not had any that went below that level. of. of Nobody's uh, ever gotten too skinny. Correct. Um, as far as the weight loss, again, 80% in that first six months. And most people think that, you know, they... They commit to exercise program, they commit to food restrictions, and they don't realize that that if they cheat, they're only cheating the amount of weight that they could potentially lose. Because after that first six months, uh, it's very hard to lose weight. And some patients, it becomes almost no weight loss. Uh, But when I ask them about their exercise and their dieting, McDonald's is high on their list of places they like to visit. Uh, Their exercise is they don't have time anymore. And so a lot of patients will be frustrated with that. But definitely you can get almost twice the amount of weight loss with a regular 45 minutes a day exercise. So somebody who says, I'm going to go do bypass because I don't want to have to exercise. I just want somebody to let me eat little bits and for me not to feel hungry. That's not really the type of person that is a good candidate. Correct. You're not really going to get out of the exercise. You've got to put in some effort. It, it's pretty uh, – you can get weight loss with each of the procedures. You'll get double uh, with exercise. And no one has gotten down to a too low of weight. So I, I'm – they – if they come in thinking, I only want to lose this amount of weight, that's okay. But in general, we're looking at mm, 60 to 70% of their excess weight. So if you're 100 pounds overweight, 60 to 70 pounds. A lot of people want 100 pounds. You know, they want every single pound back. They want to be where they were in high school, and that is pretty hard to get to. Not so impossible, but very hard. Be realistic is the other thing about The procedure is, you know, this is not an easy answer. This is not just you won't be hungry, you can sit on the couch. No, that's not what we're talking about here. And every bit of weight loss that you can lose with any of the procedures can be regained with time. And one that, you know, people always want to know, well, why? I only have such a small stomach. Well, that little stomach can be stretched out over years to to be the size of of a softball. And with that, you can consume all the calories you were eating before. So we've talked about a softball. We've talked about an egg. What is the usual size of a stomach? About a football? Football. All right. It's kind of funny because football's championships are coming up. Playoffs, right, this weekend? <laughs> when you see that football on TV, you're going to have a whole new appreciation for your body. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio. We are going to come back in just a minute. We're going to talk with Chris Kelleipio about what's it like to have surgery? What are some of the other consequences of doing this procedure Can it really be life-saving? You can join our conversation at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Miss your favorite talk show? Get it on the Talk Show Archive. Whether it's one of the weeklies, Business of the Arts, The Body Show, Bite Marks Cafe, and Town Square, or The Conversation every weekday morning, it's on the HPR website. And if you want to talk back, the link to our email, Twitter, and Facebook are all there, too. Your favorite talk, it really is just a click away. 
roaming poet Xinyi Pai, who's experienced many trials in her travels, talks about how her poetry's improved with her wanderlust. I really wanted to think about the ways in which the places that I'd lived Dallas or Chicago had infiltrated my work and changed me forever. Shenyi Pai reads from her seventh poetry collection, Adamantine, and more on the next New Letters on the Air. Tuesday evening at 6.30, following Marketplace. Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome back to The Body Show. Today we're talking about myth-busting. No, you can't just magically take out part of your stomach and suddenly get skinny. You've got to exercise, you've got to diet, but we're going to talk some more. We have Dr. Mark Grief and we have Dr. Chris Kelly Ipio here in the studio, and we're talking a little bit about the bariatric surgery program, gastric bypass, gastric sleeve, lap band procedures. What does it mean to have these surgeries, and how does it affect you long-term, and can it really help you to get off of different types of medications? Well, Chris, tell me a little bit about some of the consequences. Now, you counsel some patients when they decide to come in and say they want to do surgery. They, they have to go through a process. What is that process? Well, that process, uh, Kathleen, is uh, first they have to go to an informational meeting, and at the informational meeting, this is where they find out from Dr. Grief um, the types of surgeries we do, the um, um, the risk of doing surgery. I think that's really important. What is the risk? The risk of doing surgery is the possibility of um, surgical site infections, um, pneumonia, and there's the risk of dying because it's, it's a major surgery. And because people are overweight, they are at a higher risk when they are having surgery. So we talk about those things. And then the other thing is to get across to people that this is not a magic bullet. It's not, um, it should be the last resort that um, we go to um, before we go, go have surgery. So uh, many people come in and think that I'm going to have this surgery and I'm going to lose weight, and so they're really excited. And they're ready to do it tomorrow. And one of the things we used to at the very beginning uh, help people get through the process to have the surgery faster, sooner, and now we're not, so not doing that because one of the things is that you have to – it's just – body, mind, and spirit piece that goes on that, that has to prepare for surgery. And sometimes people just aren't ready psychologically for this big um, change. Um, so it, we want to make sure that people really have thought through this, think, thinking about that this is a lifetime commitment um, forever and um, having a good reason for being in having the surgery. And if it's just to lose weight, honestly, I don't think that's a good enough reason. I think it has to be something related to the effects of, of health and how we can improve our health. So, like, for example, somebody who has diabetes in addition to having concerns about their weight, or is it some other aspect of their health they need to improve? Because you mentioned it's not a numbers game. So if you go in and say, hey, I weigh 250, I want to weigh 150, I want to lose 100 pounds, good for you. That's an excellent goal to mm -hmm. have. This may be one way to help you to do that. But what are some of these other things that you look for in someone who's a candidate that would make them more likely to be doing this particular procedure? Well, is it those other metabolic issues? or it, Well, there, there's a multitude of different things. And, and, and the bottom line is about quality of life and, and a good quality of life. But we're looking at people um, with what we call comorbidities or different types of things that go on. And most of the people have at least 80% will probably have more than two of um, comorbidities. And those are things like hypertension, diabetes, sleep apnea. Um, we, we are looking for a BMI of 40 or a BMI of 35 and having one, uh, 
at least two of these morbidities or these types of chronic disease. So let's talk about BMI. BMI stands for body mass index, and that's a measure of your height and weight. Correct. And it's usually given in a number. And the current goal BMI or body mass index for most people is eight. Eight. 18 to 25. 18 to 25. I'm like, I don't think so, Dr. Grieve. Eight? Really? Oh, no. They didn't make the criteria stricter again. So 18 to 25 or so. So you're talking about somebody who has a body mass index of about 40 or 35 with other what we call Mm -hmm. comorbidities, the diabetes, the sleep apnea, or some other consequence. For those people who have those other medical conditions, how successful are they and no longer having to take medicine for those. Do you ever, do you have any stories or examples of people who have maybe, you know, they've been on diabetes medicine or insulin or blood pressure pills and now they don't need any? Well, yes, there's many stories. And I'm thinking particularly right now of a gentleman that was in our support group who um, we, he stood up and said who he was and how much weight he lost. And he said that he had been on 170 units of insulin twice a day. 170? Yeah, and I did that. I did 170, and he said yes. And he's no longer on any insulin. Um, a lady on the Big Island, she was on 12, 15 medications plus insulin three times a day, plus um, she was also um, doing um, um, checking her uh, blood sugar in between as well. And she was able to get off all of her medications and her insulin. And she keeps the insulin syringe in her refrigerator just to remind her of the reason. And she's now able to work. She's working full-time, and she's going to full school full-time. Was she not doing those she things She was not before? able to work before. No. So, boy, talk about a way to scare yourself into closing the refrigerator. Mm-hmm. Put your insulin syringe in there. That would make me close it immediately. Your insulin syringe is in there. And But, again, you know, I, I want people who have diabetes who are on insulin not to be scared of using the insulin and certainly not to think that everybody who's on insulin should should do a surgical procedure. But for the right individual, this may help them if they – if the reason they're on insulin is that their diabetes is caused by their weight, then reducing the weight can reduce the sugars, reduce the diabetes risk. So, you know, if you're already skinny with diabetes, it's not going to do any good. But this is more geared towards people who have an issue with weight contributing to their diabetes or their other medical conditions. Correct. Now, Dr. Groove, we talked a little bit about 80% of the weight loss in the first six months. So... You have this window, and it's closing. Once you have your surgery, you have to really work on the exercise and the diet to help yourself to be able to lose the maximum amount. Ten years after surgery, do most people keep the weight off? I think that would be the hardest thing to identify because as a surgeon uh, with our program, we try to follow our patients up on a regular basis. Uh, we lose out on some of those. They go back to their internists, they uh, back and forth. So the success is variable, and there aren't any long-term, I would say, real accurate studies. Uh, we do have our patients after four years of uh, doing gastric bypass and the, and the sleeves uh, and have a, a very good. But a lot of patients who gain weight back don't want to come for a follow-up. Sure. I saw someone in my office today who hasn't done their diabetes checks for over a year, and they gained a few pounds, and they're scared of their endocrinologist. So I hear you. So some people may say, I don't want to come back. I don't want you to see that maybe all that effort with surgery wasn't successful for me. But that's actually kind of some of the stuff people would want to know. 
Because if you're thinking about doing this procedure, you kind of have to project out, okay, how is this going to affect me, you know, today, tomorrow, a year and a half from now, five years from now. And nationwide, they have shown that really, I think gastric bypass above banding, above regular diet and exercise has the longest duration of weight loss continuation out of all the different types of procedures. Mm-hmm. Really, it's bypass is number one at, at forget how many years, I think it was at was reading a study recently, and they were sort of, like you said, saying this is what we guess it is because it's kind of hard to follow correctly. But we think at least, boy, I think 60% of those who lost weight have been able to maintain some percentage of weight loss mm-hmm. um, with band with bypass, and banding is a bit less than that, and regular diet and exercise is, is clearly less than that. So who is the perfect candidate? The perfect candidate. <clears throat> um from a surgical standpoint, your lowest, the lower your BMI, the easier it is for the surgery. Uh, Benefit-wise, uh, I tell patients the more problems you got, the more I like you. Why? Because when you see improvement in almost all of those conditions, it's going to be hard for you to go back to that other side. And uh, the insulin is one thing. I had one patient, every time she lost 20 pounds, put a 20-pound bag of rice in the cupboard, and she had five bags in the cupboard. Uh, so people with determination who understand, and I like patients with comorbidities. because The blood pressure, the, blood pressure, the diabetes, the cholesterol, the apnea, those sorts of things. They can see the benefit. They understand that. When you come in, and I've had younger patients uh, that don't have any of those problems, they lose the weight, but they don't see that this is a golden opportunity not to be squandered. And so uh, it's not like, well, I'll have another surgery later. So someone who has had problems understands that the weight is the problem and getting the weight off will relieve them a lot of those conditions, if not all of them. So that's your your sort of perfect candidate. My perfect candidate. That's who you... Now, who is not a good candidate, Chris? Let's think about it from a different perspective, because part of what you do with the bariatric program is that you help with a lot of the other issues regarding having surgery. So who would be not a good candidate? Oh, good question. Um, well, one of the things is, is if someone is, um, is currently um, dealing with any substance abuse issues and they are not um, uh have been dry and clean sober for a period of time that would not be they would not be a good alcohol complicates surgery also negates the ability to lose the weight i would imagine because there's could be a lot of calories in that so okay so substance abuse um what about you know we talked a little bit earlier about the commitment to do the exercise what is that commitment i mean after you have the surgery you're told you should go ahead and do exercise and i heard this i heard this story once and it really struck me and and i'll mention it briefly they said you know if you had cancer and you were told you needed to take time off from work to go do chemotherapy 4 hours a day 3 times a week you would probably do that because, you know, you need to go do your chemotherapy. We think of cancer as a certain type of a problem. We'll hear more about it this Saturday at the conference. But, you know, again, cancer is something that people can identify with. It's a serious issue. They know they will make time for it. If you had to go ahead and take, you know, three half days a week out of your job to go exercise to prevent heart disease, knowing that heart cardiovascular, including strokes and heart attacks, 10 times more likely to cause death than cancer 
in anybody in the United States. If you told somebody, take three afternoons off a week and I want you to go to the gym for three or four hours, nobody would do it. Yet the problem is more serious in some cases long term than even cancer. I mean, not to negate the seriousness of cancer, but certainly people would take the time off for something they see as valuable and or justifiable. They might not do it if it were to be weight loss, prevent your blood pressure, prevent your cholesterol. What sort of exercise commitment after bypass surgery are you talking about? Is it really like you're going to go three times a week to the gym, two hours uh, a day? What are the expectations? Well, actually, we don't ask anybody to buy anything special or go to a gym. We're asking people just to be active in movement and, and walking. So literally put on your shoes, and go walk. for a walk. You don't walk. need any equipment, no fancy stuff. Get moving. Get moving and start walking. And we just ask at the beginning to get out after surgery. The first, Actually, we get patients up that day of surgery, and they start walking. And so we're expecting them to get out and start 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, to the point where they're up to an hour a day, and, and using steps and parking your car farther away, all the things that we've heard. But I think as people start losing weight, the, the first thing that they notice within the first 20 pounds is just the ease of mobility, the joints getting up and down out of the chair or um, off, off, um, going up the steps. And as they, they can they, move more. It yeah, doesn't they hurt get excited. as much. They can get there. Yes, okay. and they get excited. And I think some people then just start participating more in the exercise. Um, but it's very, very important because if you don't, you'll start lo- losing some of the lean muscle mass. And um, you, it's very difficult to, to restore lean muscle mass if you haven't started to work and, and maintain that tone for toning and such. So walking an hour a day. And that's pretty realistic. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going to go to the point where you're going to have surgery, you really have to commit to doing some of the other activities like the walking. And now, Dr. Grief, when you tell people this sort of thing, that it's not just that you can go home and sit on the couch and you'll magically get skinny, what kind of response do you normally get? I mean, do people think that's realistic or do they say yes, 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 and then they do their surgery and then they go home and go, no, no, no. The latter. Uh Really? More often? No, no, no. Uh, everyone understands. I mean, we uh, all of our patients go through an, an hour, hour and a half seminar that I put on twice a month where basically they're given uh, a lot of information similar to this show, but in basically a uh, we go through the, the everything. And I usually tell them, I said, if you're not ready to commit to this exercise and for this follow-up time, then it's not the time for your surgery. And I'm pretty strong about that, only because I've had too many patients a month later come in and their weight starts to be not as good as I like, and I ask them what they're doing for exercise. They give me the, I'm busy at work, I have to work, I have to put food on the table. They give you things that you can't really push as an argument, and I just go back. I said, well, four weeks ago you knew you were supposed to do this. Things haven't changed. So I've it's a golden opportunity not to be squandered. So if they're not ready, it's not the time for the surgery. Well, and you really talk about that 18-month window where really if you're going to lose weight, it's going to be within that first year and a half, majority of it in the first six months. What happens after those 18 months? If you've had your surgery two or three years ago and maybe you've plateaued with your weight or maybe you never reached as low as you wanted to, is it just as hard as before the surgery to lose weight? Are you kind of back in the same situation again? Right. After I tell the patients that what, however hard it is to lose weight now, 18 months after the surgery, whatever weight you're at at that time, it's going to be just as hard to push that bottom any lower. So 
like I said, I stress so often that basically uh, the effects are relatively short term uh, if you look at your lifetime uh, and you can gain all the weight back. So a lot of that is conditioning, understanding what it takes to keep the weight off. It's a constant ongoing battle. Now, Chris, you've been fairly open about the fact you had the surgery. Yes. And how long ago was it? About seven years ago. And so what are some of the things that you noticed in your life after the surgery? What are some of the big things that changed? Some of the big things that changed for me is that um, I'm just very much more active. Um, I feel better. I have lots of energy, um, more than some appreciate. And um, I mean, clearly you promote it because you're part of the bariatric program. So this is something that really worked well for you. So more energy, you're more active. If you had to go back and do it all over again, I gather you would. True. Yes, correct. Would you do it sooner? Oh, I wish I would have done it a long time ago because I've dealt with weight all my life and I've done all the diets, all those types of things. And, and actually, when I decided to do this surgery, I didn't tell anybody because I was um, afraid of failing again because I failed all the other types of diets. And um, it was not until I realized that I had... I got a grip of it and and I wasn't going back I was never going to go back and I have a pair of blue jeans in my office that I reminds me of why and and I can have there's one secretary can fit in one leg and another secretary can fit in the other leg and so it it, it's just that and I remember how miserable I was and I think we internally and we internalize that misery or that pain and people sometimes are very cruel too to people who are um overweight so and, and as a nurse, I uh, I initially was getting I got in with the program because of losing weight, but now I I see the benefits of just with diabetes. If we could prevent one person from losing a limb or um, going on dialysis or just improving quality of life um, with your children and with your family, because it does replicate. Because if you change how you interact with the world with food and exercise, it affects your family as well. How did it affect yours? My family? Well, actually, um, seven years later, um, my husband had bariatric surgery, too. <laughs> and so he saw how successful you were. Yes. And so he said, I want that. And he was diabetic and hypertension. And um, he had tried all the different things um, he could medically and doing the walking. And he made a decision. And it was his decision without my involvement um, to go ahead and have this surgery. And he, he had the surgery with Dr. Grief and um, very successful. And um, no longer on his diabetic medication. So he's one of the success stories. Yes. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Mark Grief. And we also have Chris Kelly-Ipio. And she is, along with Dr. Grief, running the Polymomy Medical Center Bariatric Program. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about some of the other effects after surgery, some of the surgical things that you may need to consider, some of the psychological things as well. You can join our conversation at 941-3689, toll free from the neighbor islands, 877 877- We'll be right back. Stay with us. I love public radio because it makes me laugh. It makes me cry. It makes me think. It makes me squirm. It just is a wonderful thing for me, and I love being there in that space. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see.
on the next humankind. It takes a willingness to understand that children really don't see the world as we do, and be willing to see it from their eyes. Author Nancy Carlson Page on helping kids cope with our harsh world. Next time on Humankind. This evening at six thirty, right after Marketplace. Aloha, welcome back to the Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and in the studio with me, I have Polymomi Medical Center Bariatric Program. Folks, I've got Dr. Mark Grief along with Christy Kelly Epio, and we're talking about bypass surgery and gastric sleeve surgery. And who's a good candidate for weight loss surgery, and what are some of the side effects? We've talked over the last hour about having some, some changes in metabolic issues and not having to take insulin any further, having some changes in energy levels, feeling more active, feeling more energetic, and also that commitment to exercise. In a few weeks on The Body Show, we're going to talk with a trainer who's going to go over some of the exercise issues, how to incorporate that into your daily life. Now, Dr. Grief, sometimes people say, I'm afraid of doing the surgery because if I lose weight so quickly, I'm going to have all that extra skin. Is that something you see? And if so, how is that managed? It's actually one of the bigger complaints that people can have. Uh, I've lost so much, I have just skin. Extra skin. Okay. Uh, from a medical standpoint, they're off their diabetes, they're off their hypertensive meds, they're off their sleep apnea machine, but they're complaining of the loose skin. And it will depend on the elasticity of the skin uh, and how long it's been stretched out. You know, a woman who's pregnant, the stomach gets fairly large. When they have the baby, some will have wrinkles. Others will have stretch marks. When you lose weight, uh, it depends on your initial weight and how far you go down to uh, and the elasticity, which is sort of hard to measure. Um, with our patients who have had the surgery and have lost up to 100, 120 pounds, uh, probably f- maybe 10% actually think about some type of plastic surgery to remove the extra skin. And where is it that they usually have the extra skin appear? The majority is uh, the abdomen. Um, uh, the other would be the, the triceps or the upper arm uh, that they feel that uh, when they move their arms. It's something that's more visible, and that's what they're more concerned about because they, if they have short sleeves on, people will see that extra skin in that location. So if somebody's had bypass or sleeve or lap band, if they've had a procedure to lose weight and they've lost a lot of weight, let's say insurance covers for the surgery. Does insurance cover for some of the plastic surgery that occurs afterwards as a side effect to the initial surgery? Some. Uh, it, it will depend on your insurance carrier and your plastic surgeon uh, because it, a lot of it has to be with the detail they submit the application for. Uh, the abdomen would be the number one area that most insurance companies would cover when it produces or a skin rash, when it's skin on skin. And that's the, the probably the major one that they would cover. Uh, so if you have a insurance. medical problem related to the extra skin, if it's rubbing on other skin, causing infection, causing some sort of medical concern, not necessarily a cosmetic concern, but, hey, there's a, there's a side benefit. Right, so if right. you have a medical problem with it and then you wind up having the procedure insurance may cover it. If it's cosmetic, it may not. With the arms, is that more cosmetic? I could imagine that that would be a little bit more difficult to justify. Difficult, not impossible. It would depend on the person and the irritation or discomfort that they're having from that. 
And you've seen people who have had surgery, whether or not insurance is covered for it, to eliminate some of that skin. Yes. And it works fine. Yes. And nothing that someone could do beforehand to eliminate the chance of having the extra skin. Not really possible. No. Uh, they, everyone will tell you, oh, try this vitamin oil or mineral or uh, diet or wrap. Uh, but in general, there's nothing medically that's been proven to reduce the amount of loose skin other than just what your body will, will snap back to. Now, you kind of mentioned, hey, they lose the sleep apnea, they lose the diabetes, they lose the blood pressure, and they gain some skin. So the other medical benefits of doing the surgery or doing a procedure seem to outweigh the cosmetic issues when you think about it from a medical standpoint, at least, okay, as a physician. I realize some people may disagree with me on that. But from a medical standpoint, do you see the most of your folks who have the procedure, I don't want to say cure because that's a, that has a different connotation, but eliminate their other medical concerns like the diabetes, the apnea. Are they able to, majority of your folks, able to just get rid of those conditions? Yes. Uh, uh, I think one of the major journals, JAMA, came out, I think that 92% of diabetes goes into remission. And you can use the word remission. Remission, that's a good way to put um, it. Okay. And that uh, they're not on their medications anymore. Uh, sleep apnea, 75% will be off their machine. Uh, hypertension, about 70% uh, will be uh, off their hypertensive meds. But hypertension is not all weight-related. You can have essential hypertension, meaning you can be of normal weight and have hypertension. So hypertension is one of the lesser ones, but I've had patients get off quite a, over half their medications for hypertension, if not all. Is it overnight? Is it over the course of the first month or so? How do you know when somebody, for example, has diabetes and they're using something like insulin, how do you know when to reduce that medicine enough or just stop it entirely? It's, uh, that's why I see patients at one week, two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, uh, two months out because things change quite rapidly. Your regular internist will see you like every three months for your conditions. I will see you probably every two weeks for that first two months, uh, and then we'll go to two months. Your diabetic condition can improve so quickly that I may need to see you faster. I may put you on a sliding scale for your insulin uh, but it basically will, uh, it requires a lot of, hand, I call it hands-on uh, with the diabetic patients. But many patients are on insulin and a oral agent. Uh, two days after surgery, they're off their insulin, a lot of them. Because usually the insulin is given in response to the sugar, which is in response to the diet. And since you've dramatically reduced the diet, they really can't keep using the insulin. Correct. I think it would be almost easier with insulin than it would be with some of the diabetes pills because those are sort of longer acting and you don't necessarily dose them in response to a sugar that you check. It almost seems like it would be harder if you were on the pills to know when to discontinue those. For me, it's the pills. I mean, I use metformin, which it, 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 uh, very rarely does it drive it down too low. It's one of those few medicines that doesn't cause those super low sugars. So, Okay, so you've become not just a surgeon, but also essentially an internist for the time in which you're monitoring that person after surgery. You kind of have to do all the stuff I would do, but a lot more frequently and respond much quicker to some of those changes. Yes, I, I try not to keep that. Uh, as far as the patients have the regular in, internist, which I try not to step on toes, but I do need to keep them under sort of close attention. So I, I don't really try to step in and take over. I, but for that acute time frame of the first you know, four months, I, I do need to see them on a, on, a, on a regular basis. I do need to adjust their medications. And it, I, I have upset a few of the regular doctors by doing that. Well, as an internist, I'll tell you, keep doing it. Because 
things change so rapidly and you have so much more experience with those changes than I would with one or two bypass patients in my practice. You have, what, hundreds? So, you know, with your level of experience, you probably know you can foresee what's going to happen in various situations much faster or quicker than I would. So if they were my patients, I would say, you keep managing, you go for it. I'll see them in a few months. But, you know, because a lot of those changes, you're right, need to be pretty quickly altered. And it's not necessarily following the standard practice of medicine that we may do for most other people. Now, uh, Chris, I'm curious, what are some of the questions that people ask you about bariatric surgery? Because they come and they spend some time with you. What sort of questions do people ask you routinely? Hmm. I mean, I can think of a few, you know. People who want to know, um, what if the surgery doesn't work? In most people, if they follow the exercise, they follow the diet, it's going to work. Uh, the surgery doesn't, the, the surgery won't fail you. So if you actually are, uh, follow the process that we, the program that we have in place, the journey, it truly really is a journey, and keep with us and go to support groups because I think that's really, really important. We have support groups um, once a month and we, ha- uh, we also have nutritional support groups. Um, those are, the, I think, the key pieces to keeping us honest and, um, uh, and finding out that other people that may have some of the same issues we have, being foods we eat or, or the exercise or just the challenges that may come about after the surgery. Um, I, I think one of the things that I see is I think many of our patients, all of us, will have some type of depressive na- depression, type of depression. We've dealt with that because of being overweight, and, and we sometimes that's extenuated after surgery. So we, I, we talk about that a little bit, about you might get a little bit more depressed afterwards because there's so many things that are changing in your life so fast after surgery. Um, that it, it just takes some time to norm what I call normalize and become and settle down. Well, and I often wonder if people are a term that I've heard bantered about emotional eaters. So they get upset, mm-hmm. they eat that makes them feel temporarily happy, they enjoy whatever they're eating or tasting, etc. And that becomes almost like a crutch. Then you take away the crutch. Well, the medication, yeah. We take the medication away, which is your food. And, and you take you... away that food, which may take away that joy that you experience with food. And if there's nothing else to replace it, whether it be finding joy in the exercise, finding joy in the pants that fit, finding joy in the compliments, if you can't put something else in that puka, you know, that's, exactly that's, a, right. that's a problem. That's exactly right. So that's why the support groups are very, very important, and um, having good support systems in your family systems or friends, um, so that when you're walking through this journey, um, you can deal with those things. When your medication is gone, which is your food, what are you doing to replace that, and why are you feeling what you feel um, when you when it may, may be happy, may be sad, may be angry. So um, those are some things. And another thing that patients may, I talk about with patients is sometimes um, just body image. Um, Dr. Grief was talking earlier about skin. Um, you get, you lose the weight, but then you still think about being heavy or being fat. And so you, you still have to work with um, body image and getting comfortable with the, the skin you're in and get comfortable with who you are and where you're at. And this is where, you know, where, I, where I'm supposed to be. It sounds like, you know, there's a huge emotional 
process that goes along with it. You have a surgery, but then with that, you go on this journey. Like you mentioned, it's a long journey. You need to have some other guideposts along the way. You provide some of the guideposts. Dr. Grief, you provide some of the medical guideposts as well. And yet, as you proceed down this path, there are some things that could surprise you. And having that support group from your fellow individuals who have been there, done that, had that procedure, had that experience, and can help you get to that other side of the journey sounds like it would be an invaluable process. I mean, it almost sounds like everybody should join a support group right now, even without having surgery. Just get some other folks, get out there and and find out what's going on and, and how people are responding to the challenges of life. I think one of the hardest ones is, you know, I feel for the person, Dr. Grief, that comes to you and says, my life has just gotten so busy, I can't take an hour out every day. I think all of us can think about what that busy day would be like. And yet, how important is it to do that activity? Even if it's just put on your shoes and go walking down to get the mail and walk around the block and then come on back. I mean, that can be a, that can be a challenge. It's a challenge, and that's the reason you have to go into it understanding. That's why this program is important. It's, it's not if you don't have the time, and although time may become stretched, if you don't understand that you're not going to get the results you can have excuses, but basically you're only cheating your the benefit well, from yourself. And it's what you mentioned. It's an excuse. Yeah. I mean, you can have an excuse. You put one, two, three, four, up to ten beyond ahead of whatever activity you need to do to take care of yourself. You know, it sort of alludes to that story about chemotherapy. If you if you justify it, you will make the time to do something that is life-saving. Doing the activity, the exercise, the diet, doing the counseling, this can be life-saving for folks. If they look at it that way, Mm -hmm. if they can justify it to themselves and make it that important. Now, I'm curious, what are the biggest myths about having stomach or bariatric surgery that you hear people come up with all the time? Dr. Grief, myths, things that they tell you that you're like, where'd you hear that from? Anything that pops out at you? I'm at a blank as far as a, a myth. I mean, a lot of people, I would say, if there was anything I would try to say is that they come in saying that, well, they're for friends saying that you don't need to do surgery, just you no know, diet and exercise. But most patients have gone through that a, a hundred several times. Several diets, you know, several so, exercise. Yeah. So uh, understanding that basically uh, doing nothing or and maintaining that weight, if I was to say anything, they think they're safe. Uh, that because they had a friend who had surgery and they had complications. And so a lot of people will have friends that don't want them to have surgery because it's too risky. Well, you talked about a study that was out of my home state of Pennsylvania at Geisinger, and you mentioned that they had done some some studies to look at the implications and risks of having problems. Uh, Tell us about that. Geisinger is sort of like a Kaiser of the Midwest, and they have a, a controlled population or a large population of patients. And in that, they basically, they sort of can determine whether they cover bariatric surgery or not. And so in their studies, if they took uh, patients who had a BMI of 40 and they did not operate on them uh, and follow those patients for five years, those patients, due to their associated problems of heart disease, uh, diabetes, had a risk of dying of 6%. Over five years? Over five years. Okay took those same or a group of uh, patients with BMI of 40 and did gastric bypass surgery on those patients. The risk of having complications or dying from the surgery through the operation and following those patients for five years was 0.6%. 
So that's a tenfold difference. Tenfold difference. They were much more likely to be around 10 times more likely as far as risk of having a complication or dying by having the surgery, losing the weight, and then staying the same. In other words, the, 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 the thought that they're, they're okay, they're not going to go through a big operation because of the risk, the risk of not getting that weight off was 10 times more risky to them. So when people are concerned about the risks of surgery, they have to consider the alternative risks, Correct. Which not they, doing they, the surgery. And which they rarely do. They, they, rarely, they think they're sort of safe in the, in the box uh, by not having the surgery. And a lot of family will sort of reinforce that they shouldn't go through that. Any reasons why? I mean, is there really a fear? Sometimes I wonder, Chris, in a situation, you know, what if a family member has the procedure and another family member doesn't? That can create a little bit of strife. It, it could. It, it, it can affect relationships, um, if even solid, um, strong relationships, because sometimes you see someone doing something for themselves and getting healthy and starting to look good, maybe changing their hair, um, maybe wearing makeup, different types of clothes, walk differently, being more confident. And, and for the other p- person in the relationship, that might create a little bit of insecurity. Sure. It makes you wonder, am I being left behind? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And, and then in the beginning, I've heard patients say that about this other spouse, it's, I'm really getting tired about it's all about me. And so there is a phase that that goes through. But they, everybody gets through that. But there is some challenges regarding relationships and, and moving and families. And sometimes, like, uh, when I talk about it in, um, in pre-op, I talk about the fact that sometimes people just don't like watching other people be successful. It's like the crabs in a, in a, in a pail. I and use they that pull the other one down. the time, right? Yeah, yeah. You never have to put a, lib, a lid on a bucket of crabs because yeah. as soon as one tries to get out, somebody pulls them back in. Yeah, and, and some people are, can be very, very cruel. And even work environments um, can be very, very cruel to people who have made a decision. And they'll say things like, you took the easy way out. By no means is it the easy way out. By no means at all. That would be a big myth that we're going to bust. It is Mm -hmm. not the easy way out. Absolutely not. It's actually just as hard, if not in some cases, maybe even harder, Mm -hmm. because you really are, you're condensing all of this effort that you're making into a very short time frame. We talked about the window of, you know, six months, 18 months, and you have all these changes happening at once. It's not the easy way out. I think that would probably be the biggest myth that we can bust right now. I want to thank both of you for being on the show today. Dr. Mark Grief, Chris, Chris Kelly EPO, they both work at Polymomy Medical Center in the Bariatric Program. And if you want to hear this podcast again, you can easily click on hawaiipublicradio.org, follow the links to The Body Show. You'll be able to hear it again and hear it some more. If you have questions about bariatric surgery, you can always give Chris a call. Chris, if somebody had a question, how can they reach your program? Well, they can actually call the hospital, 486-6000, and ask for the bariatric program, and they will be um, transferred to the bariatric Great. And Dr. Grief, you give lectures twice a month, you said. So here, having people get more information about the procedure, if they're interested in it, if they're the right candidate. So there's lots of ways that you can hear about it. Don't forget this coming Saturday, January 18th, 830 to noon at the Alamoana Hotel, there is Hawaii Pacific Health putting on the free community health event, Cancer Care, the latest in updates. Our engineer is David Chung, our executive producer, Beth Ann Koslovich. I'm Kathleen Kozak. You can hear me next week on The Body Show. We'll see you then. Mm-hmm.